Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living with all of today's challenges. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and today our topic is Courageous Living, Yoga's Tools for Releasing Anxiety and Fear. And here we are, January 2021, one week into the new year, and looking back on 2020, there were an unprecedented number of issues we had to deal with, obviously the pandemic and then um, the, all the disruptions that came from that, also the economic you know, situation as well as the political situation, um, et cetera. So the question arises, how can we live courageously in this times of turbulence and look forward to what the new year will bring? And I'm so delighted to be joined today by Beth Spindler a practicing yoga therapist with over four decades of experience in utilizing yoga as a healing modality, plus having the highest certification in the yoga therapy field. Beth has trained hundreds of teachers, practiced yoga therapy in hospitals, universities, ashrams, retreat centers, clinics, and schools. She's the author of the book we're going to be discussing today, Yoga Therapy for Fear treating anxiety, depression, and rage with the vagus nerve and other techniques. You can find out more about, about Beth Spindler, her books, and events at her website, teachtoinspire.com. Again, teachtoinspire.com. And Beth, I have to say, I just love the name of your website. That's such a, good, such a great name, Teach to Inspire. So welcome, Beth Spindler. I'm so glad you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. I am so glad to be here, Laurel. And uh, for the for people's information, the the website's under construction. If they go there right now, oh, okay. <laughs> find me on the Facebook or or on uh, the yoga on Beth Spindler Yoga Therapy on Facebook or or on Instagram. So okay, great. Thanks for that. So before we dive into our dialogue about courageous living, let's start. As we mean to go on, let's start with a yoga moment, a moment of contemplation. So let's begin by just bringing ourselves present in this moment, this moment right here, right now. Let's begin by paying attention to our body feeling our body in space. Whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, just feeling our body, feeling the surfaces that support our body, 
feeling our feet on the ground. And then noticing, turning our attention to our breath as we take a fully conscious breath, noticing the next inhale and exhale. On the inhale, the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, the warm air flowing out. Letting go of whatever happened this morning or yesterday. Just following the breath. As we let go of anything that may be happening later today, just noticing in this moment, just being present. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's book of spiritual reflections, living for the sake of the soul. When we are confronted with difficulty, our thoughts can spin and tension grips the body. First aid for the troubled mind and fearful heart is to attend to the breath. First aid for the troubled mind and fearful heart is to attend to the breath. It is the most accessible and reliable way to become still. Simply noticing inhalation and exhalation with the intention to become more inwardly aware restores our equilibrium. Then we can enter the temple of silence and meditation. Even a few moments of meditation strengthens our resilience. We can bend without breaking, move through challenges with clarity and compassion. Once again, Beth Spindler, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Uh, what a time to be talking about fear with this past year and everything that's gone on. So it's just really wonderful to have you on as a guest to talk about your book, Yoga Therapy for Fear. And um, as I mentioned in the you know beginning, it's the first week of January 2021 when we're recording this um, podcast, 11 months or so into the United States experience of coronavirus pandemic with the concurrent economic turmoil, also political turmoil, racial unrest that we've had this past year. So fear, depression, anxiety, and rage are emotions that are surfacing for so many of us. And in yoga, we strive for fearlessness. So this is a wonderful topic for us to be addressing today. So let's begin with how you first discovered the path of yoga. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, I I thought of, I, before we head into my history, sure. just just real quickly, what you started with with con- connecting with our own bodies so resonates with what science is saying now. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is probably the primary authority, uh, well, one of the over the last oh, he's studied since the seventies, uh, uh, working with trauma. And he, uh, to quote him, he said, the single most important issue 
for traumatized people is to find a sense of safety in their mm-hmm. own bodies. Mm-hmm. In their own bodies. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's so important. And that is truly what brought me to the yoga path. Mm-hmm. Finding a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually was a little little girl, about uh, 11 years old, grew up in the Midwest where yoga was pretty much unheard of and uh, in Missouri and uh, buckle of the Bible belt where uh, where (laughs) pretty, uh, pretty frowned upon to, uh, to be involved in, in weird stuff. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, and I, I uh, but from the time I was, oh, I, I started my first class when I was 11. My sister and I decided to go to a community, uh, to the community center. And it happened to be a um, woman who was trained in the Shivananda tradition. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until years and years later. I just, it was yoga, you know, but that was right. all sure. back then. That was, that was, uh, you know, 50 uh it was uh, 50 years ago. And so uh, we knew very little about what it was. All I remember was we do a pose and then we'd lie down. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I love, I love that Shavasana. I love that lying down and relaxing. <laughs> oh yeah. And I was a chunky little girl, very non-athletic and, and, uh, and had terrors of, of, of PE class. And, uh, and so I, yoga was something I could do. And, and, uh, and I felt better when I did it. Now, did I understand that it was the connection of the breathing and the body and the mind and the, you know, did, did I understand? Of course not. Right. All I knew was this was something I can do that makes me feel better. And, uh, so I started that way. And then right. I then at the books became more and more interesting to me, and I'd go and select books at the library with with uh, exotic poses and bizarre breathing practices, and all of these cleansing techniques. You know, were in these books where uh, you know I I couldn't even imagine uh, people doing these things, but I I loved it because it was it was it busted my mind wide open. <laughs> and then how about yoga therapy? How did that, how did that yes. happen? Um, okay. I, uh, uh, probably the first, uh, uh, trainings that I had initially were in the Iyengar tradition. And, uh, so Krishnamacharya foundation there, which, um, which we know is sort of the modern, uh, modern initiation of, yoga therapy to, uh, you know, prescriptive, uh, prescriptive work for people with specific issues. And so I, I, it was mainly Iyengar teachers that were traveling. And so I would go to, uh, go to all of these, uh, and now senior yoga teachers that I'd go and, and study with at that time. Um, I, I, I became a little boxed in by the, uh, Iyengar tradition and felt that it was a little overly, um, uh, masculine for, uh, for, uh, what I, I felt was my voice. And, uh, 
decided that that the flowing practices and studied with Shiva Ray and studied with uh, John Friend and and that and the group of people that were in more uh, the vinyasa flow, but still a lot of it was form, form, form. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Right. And then and then eventually you became interested in trauma and in fear, and that led to the writing of this book. So talk a little bit about that. What inspired you to write this book about fear? Yeah, certainly the Desikachar tradition had a lot to do with that, and then study in the Himal- in the Himalayan tradition. Uh, the the Sri Vidya branch of the Himalayan tradition and Phoenix Rising, uh, which is a lot of it psychology based. Um, so uh, this what threw me toward the healing aspects were well, I have to say my own health. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in any case we 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 come because of our own need, and uh, and I had severe health challenges and uh undiagnosed issues and and uh i won't go into a whole lot of of my own um my own illnesses but um but what i found through the practices and teachings of yoga therapeutics which differ from classroom yoga in that this is uh, specifically for the individual, um, right. that this is this is work that we're doing that that is for our physical issues, our 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 uh, our psychiatric issues, our our uh, you know for our our spiritual issues individually, uh, and it's our course that we're that we're we're working toward, and this became um, primary for me. In in in, uh, in as and and also aging, I think, uh, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with with that. We uh, we we become uh, we refine uh, we refine our, our we our uh, our our course and um, uh, doing uh, yoga yoga looking things became less important to me than. How do I feel after? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, thanks for that distinction between, uh, you know, yoga, which is inherently, I think, therapeutic. Um, I think most people feel better at the end of a yoga class than they did going, you know, going into it. And then yoga therapy, which is more of a one-on-one. There are classes that are more focused on therapeutics. You can have a yoga class that might be specifically for back pain, for example, something like that. But often yoga therapy is more of a one-on-one discipline. So, um, I, I really want to touch on fear and how fear changes us. You bring in a lot of information in the book. Um, and obviously with all of the unrest that's been going on for this past year, and for many of us, this has been very, very, you know, very stressful year. Um, and it has left us with this fear, worry, and anxiety. So can you talk about that, that fear is not really an intellectual process, but that it's really neurologically based? And yeah. how, how does fear change us? Absolutely. Fear rewires the brain. It actually changes the gray matter. It changes where we're developing in the brain. We hear a lot about neuroplasticity in the brain and how, and we talk about it from a positive standpoint, but we can also build in areas of the brain that uh, if, if we rehearse and recite 
fear and and agitation, uh, the brain becomes. Uh, it says, "Oh, this is what you want me to do, right? This is this is this is where you want me to develop." And so, uh, so neurologically, um, we are changed by rehearsing fear. Um, and uh, and when I talk about fear, I talk about it from a doshic perspective. So I don't see fear and anxiety as two different things. Anxiety is a subset of fear. Uh, it's it's uh, it, in uh, if we're looking at it. In the terms of in terms of Ayurveda, for instance, the uh, type of fear of a Vedic person is more likely to experience fear as anxiety, or the flight. We, we see we think flight, fight, freeze. Yeah, right. Okay. So a Vedic type, or people, if, if that's where your imbalance is currently. In, yeah, in and let me just break in there just for a second, just say, so in Ayurveda, for those listeners who aren't you know, familiar with it, there are three main types, and they're vata, pitta, and kapha. Um, yeah. And so the vata is more the air and space are the elements that make up this you know, subtype. And so anyway, that, I just wanted to give that little bit of background for people who may not be familiar with that. So when you talk about a vatic um, type there are people who have that more of that tendency and for whom anxiety is more, it's a common anxiety is a common manifestation of a bit of an imbalance in Vata. And, you know, again, Ayurveda is very, very complicated, you know, although, um, you know, even a, a little bit of the change of your lifestyle practice can be incredibly helpful. But just to say, so we're in winter right now, this is January, and winter is the Vata time of year. And so that, you know, that, uh, you know, dry weather that, um, you know, the wind, the cold, um, all of these things can bring out a vata, you know, imbalance in us, and that may be manifesting as an increased anxiety. And I'm sorry to break in, but now sure. go ahead. <laughs> sure. And uh, doshically, we also have uh, have the uh, have have pitic types who uh, their their reaction to high stress is to fight, and so the 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 that um, that fiery type is more prone toward anger or rage. And that is also fear. Right. And people would say, oh, well, you know, fighting isn't, isn't, isn't fear. Fighting is something else entirely. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, when that is a re reaction, that is a fear response. And, uh, and cuffing types are more prone toward depression. They are the- Hang, hang on one sec. I was just going to get back to the pitta type. And yeah. to say that um, I think it's it's uh, very common for anger to be the primary thing that's manifesting. And as you said, in the you know, pitta type or with a pitta imbalance, but there's often an underlying reason for that anger. And that is where the fear comes in. You know, so you really, when you look deeply into, well, why am I so angry? Oftentimes there is fear, you know, really at the base of it. So, and then go ahead. So kapha is the third type. And, and the freeze response. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is depression. Uh, in in uh, in terms of psychology, we look at look at it that way. So these are all manifestations of of this big kahuna, this big fear. Uh, you know, the this uh, this thing that we're we're dealing with. And and uh, and yoga would see that as um, the the big one is abnivation, which is the fear of death which motivates really everything that holds us back in life. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, fear of death holds us back from from excelling mentally, excelling uh, uh, emotionally, excelling spiritually. If, if people would say financially, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the aspects of, of what it means to be an enriched human being are dampened by this overlying. It, it forces us to vote a certain way or buy a certain kind of makeup or, uh, you know, it, it, all, all of our decisions are largely motivated by uh, this fear of dying. And right. And that may be physically dying, of course, but it's also, you know, we're talking about on the ego standpoint. So even um, as you were pointing to, so if you, for example, want to do something, but you are afraid of looking bad, so shame, um, that's, you know, that's coming from that same root, fear of dying on from an egoic perspective, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so um, there are just simple ways that we can, can move our consciousness in a, a different way. And, uh, and yoga therapeutics and even things that we do normally during our day that we don't even think about are ways that we can work with this. And I see uh, vagus nerves as our key to that. I think it's underlying why most people practice yoga to begin with. Mm. So, so let's talk about that. Because what you're talking about that is uh, there is, um, I think people have to understand the stress response, you know, first, um, to then understand what the, you know, what the um, vagus nerve does, which is the parasympathetic or the relaxation response, I've heard it called, or the, the rest and digest, you know, response. So we've got these two different processes that are going in the body. Um, something happens and we are triggered into a stress response. And so can you talk about just the stress response first and the kinds of changes that happen in the body? We've talked about it as the fight or flight response, but specifically what's happening inside of ourselves in terms of the heart and blood pressure and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's fight, flight, freeze. And now we know fawn is another aspect of people who are traumatized to fawn over, for instance, someone who's an oppressor. Uh, and and that's another another response, yeah. Um, and um, and we were uh, we were going into what the stress response looks like, and of course, I, I, I like you know there are a whole lot of our heart, our lungs, our kidneys, our digestive system are uh, are on shutdown, you know, or or on on hyperdrive, depending on the organ's tendency, and. And we wonder why we can't digest in times of high stress. Well, it's this gut-brain connection mm -hmm. bit. Which is very, very powerful. There's so many um, so many nerves that are in the gut. It's the part of the body that's most richly endowed besides the brain. You know, it's uh, the, the gut brain is, uh, you know, what I was taught in, in medical school. Um, so very, very powerful connection between the, between the mind and the body, and particularly the, the gut, the digestive system, and then the vagus nerve that you mentioned. And so the parasympathetic, you know, system is really triggered by the vagus nerve. So tell us a little bit about the vagus nerve then. Vagus nerves, uh, they're the 10th 
of the cranial nerves. And they uh, and vagus comes from the term vagrant, meaning that it wanders. And when I say wander, it's not just one spindly little thread. These are these. If you were to see a diagram, it would insert behind the. You'd see it coming up behind the ears, uh, inserting into the brain, going down to every major organ and not just all the organs i mean your tongue is innervated by vagus nerve your that's and often that's why voice helps uh helps a lot with and uh, and of course the breathing process but your but every major organ is impacted by vagus nerve and it comes down uh, this vast mesh of nerve nerve fibers connecting to these organs and then coming to cradle the floor of the pelvis. Uh, and, and so, uh, so the, and the vagus nerves conduct 10 times the amount of afferent data, which means body to brain as efferent data, which is the brain to body. Meaning that the vagus nerve is out there sensing, 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 in addition to all of the things that we talk about in terms of re, uh, um, reversing the effects of the stress response. And so it uh, slows the heart rate. It decreases our you know, rapidity of our breathing. It lowers the blood pressure. It, it you know, allows the digestive system to reactivate. The digestive system pretty much turns off when we are under stress in a, in a big stress response, which makes sense, right? If you're preparing to fight or flee or freeze, you know, your body doesn't want to be worried about, you know, let's digest right now. I mean, so no. that pretty much, you know, is tamped down. And then when the when we are in the relaxation response or this rest and digest response, it turns it turns back on. So let's see, we've only got about um, a little bit over a minute um, before the break. Um, let's just start in on this topic of discussion, which I think we're going to focus more on in the second half. So what are some practices that are unique to yoga that can stimulate the vagus nerve? Maybe just one. <laughs> uh, things that we do normally, big yawning stretches. Oh, oh, you know, that, you know when I do that, does that make you want to do that? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, these things that we do normally, like, oh, that little tingle before a sneeze is your vagus nerve. That, okay, and with that as a little, with that as a little, uh, little appetizer, uh, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Beth Spindler. She is a writer and presenter for the Yoga International, leads retreats, and is the author of the book we're discussing today, Yoga Therapy for Fear. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. When we come back from the break, we're going to dive more into how we can use these wonderful yogic tools to help us deal with fear and anxiety and rage. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. 
Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Insights and practices for spiritually conscious living. Welcome back from the break. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with um, yoga therapist and author Beth Spindler. So, Beth, in the first part of the program, we were just talking about fear in general. And now let's focus in the second segment. Let's turn our attention to yogic techniques to change fear to fearlessness. And in the book, you write... Our path, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and in time, is ultimately determined by whether we continue in habit patterns of fear or challenge those habits by forming new ones. And I would just point out that this is a, a, actually a, a pretty central practice in yoga, recognizing that um, habits that we have are called samskaras, and the more we re- repeat them, it's like a, a little rut on a on a um uh dirt road that a you know like a wagon or a wheel has been going or a path that people have been walking in it kind of wears down there's like a groove and then it's easier to fall into that same pattern again and again and again but it kind of the the uh good news about samskaras is that in in the same way that we recognize we have some of these negative patterns we can also build new ones. We can we can actually, by repeating a new pattern, a new habit pattern, we can create a new rut that's easy to fall into in a positive way. So that doesn't always have to be doesn't always have to be uh, negative. So um, you share many tech, yogic techniques through the book to help the reader with developing these new habits. And what I wanted to do is go back to the three descriptions you talked about in the first segment about the three different ways that anxiety can present. So we talked about someone with more of a vatic uh, uh, imbalance or someone with a lot of vata in their, in their um, uh, dosha, their uh, personal characteristics, um, someone who might be expressing fear as anxiety. So what are, um, let's talk about, let's talk about the uh, pranayama, because I think pranayama is such a fantastic tool, set of tools that yoga really provides for people to understand the connection between our breath and our nervous system. It's quite remarkable, don't you think? I mean, obviously, our, our, you know, nervous system and our breath have been created, they they were co-created together. So they've been together for 1000s and 1000s of years. So the way that we breathe has an amazing impact on things like anxiety. So what's a pranayama practice that you would recommend for someone who is having a lot of anxiety? Okay. And it, it, this too, we have to say we're looking at an individual. Right. And not every vatic type, vatic individual uh, is just vata. <laughs> They're going to be right. a mix. Where there are times in our lives when we're dealing with depression, uh, sometimes we're dealing with anxiety, sometimes we're dealing, and sometimes it's a combination of those things. Absolutely, we have to look at how this person is is uh, is manifesting right now, uh, because we don't treat what's right with you; we treat what's what's going, what you feel isn't right, and those are those samskaras that we see, those those ruts, those patterns. 
that that we uh, that we say, why am I choosing this same thing over and over again? Why am I uh, dating the same guy over and over again? You know, whatever it is. Right. Uh, but we had we need to look at that. But individually, and some people are going to respond more to one type of breathing practice than another. For instance, the underlying thing is to lengthen your exhale. Mm -hmm. Why? Why lengthen your exhale? Because your inhalation, you think about what happens when you are are stressed. (gasps) Mm -hmm. You have this rapid, hard inhalation. Or when somebody says, take a deep breath, a lot of people will do exactly that. (gasps) which is going to trigger their sympathetic nervous system, that Mm -hmm. high flight freeze tendency. So gentle inhalation, Mm -hmm. long exhalation. And (laughs) get there. How do we get there? It depends. Uh, Now, a, a lot of Vodic types find it upsetting to do counting of the breath which is classically used in a lot of traditions, the inhale to a count of four, exhale to a count of eight. Uh, that can sometimes for a, a, a Vata type feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. I'm wondering yeah. if they go right into that. So for them, often it's easier to connect it to a hum hmm. on the exhale or Connect it to that ujjayi uh, practice that we use in yoga where it, the, the back of the throat is constricted as though you were fogging glass at both in and out. That That's right. And uh, I, I like to tell people the Darth Vader, you know, breathing. <laughs> Because people people have kind of a you know have kind of a memory of that you know little fogging little fogging of a mirror but with your mouth closed Mm -hmm. and that restriction of the glottis the epiglottis will help the the uh, help the breath lengthen on the exhalation for some that's gonna that's gonna work better some people use a buteco technique which um, is um, is a um, even creating just a little bit of air hunger on the inhalation and then lengthening the exhalation. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but I think that's such a good thing to point to though, because um, no matter um, you know where you are, this is one thing that is pretty much guaranteed to help is just lengthening that exhalation. And that's what I was pointing to as just being, isn't that remarkable? You know, we can make this change in our breathing and say that you are inhaling to a count of one and you're exhaling to a count of one, which is, you know, pretty rapid breathing, but it's not that unusual if you're anxious that it would be, you know, where you're taking these kind of short, uh, quick breaths, mm-hmm. typically like up, you know, into the, the upper chest rather than a deep belly breath where you're relaxing, you know, your belly. But if you can even make it, you know, one count on the inhalation and two counts on the exhalation, that is moving you in the right direction. And if you can get to one to two, maybe you can get to one to three. Um, and I love the idea actually of adding the hum because then the focus is not so much on, um, 
uh, withholding the breath, you know, which may trigger that anxiety response, but it, you know, it humming actually has kind of a positive uh, association anyway, right? Ooh, we, we hum when we're happy, right? <laughs> yeah, vagal, uh, and the vagal, vagal technique, it actually is vibrating in those, uh, in those cranial nerves, in those facial nerves that, that, uh, that where we get uh, knotted up in the tissue often. We see uh, neck issues, jaw issues, um, a, a directly associated with stress response. And uh, it's one of the most common complaints that, that one sees as a yoga, yoga therapist. Oh yeah, I clench. I, I, my, I find my neck's always in pain, my neck and upper shoulders. Well, those are the lines of the va- of, of uh, vagus nerves and several of the other cranial nerves mm-hmm. that we're, we're setting up not great patterns of communication with the body when we're, we're when we're retaining tension and the tissues uh, the these the fascia gets bound up around those nerves so they don't slip and slide and, and move about as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so uh, prolonging the exhale for anxiety is great. And then is there one other uh, tip that you have for for people who are feeling that anxiety, maybe from a you know vatic you know standpoint? But just if the anxiety is the predominant thing that you're feeling, um, is there a particular asana perhaps that we could recommend or um, you know, maybe it's hard to generalize that way or, or another practice. Yeah. You know, Vodic types tend to be mobile, 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 mobile. And, and, uh, their, it, their way of reacting to stress is, uh, running away. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't need to be here. I, I can get out. I can do something else. So learning some sustained practices and breathing in say, um, uh, standing poses or seated poses that require, okay, I'm going to be here for uh, a number of minutes is often grounding and settling for that air dosha. It helps root it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so those that, uh, those that have, have, uh, have high anxiety, uh, Often that lengthening of the exhalation within, say, I'm in a um, a seated uh, a seated practice, lengthening my exhalations within a, uh, uh, a seated meditation practice or mm-hmm. within standing meditation practice. Even you know, right? And in particular, in those poses, to really feel the connection to the earth. So, in the way that I did at the beginning of this of the podcast where it was encouraging people to really feel the connection with whatever it is that supports you. So feeling the connection with, if you're, if your feet are on the ground, really feeling that connection or feeling all the places that your body is resting on the ground and allow, and really just, you know, kind of connecting down. It, it literally is grounding and anxiety is a very, you know, it's got a lot of mobility in it and a lot of movement and just feeling that connection. Um, if you're out on a walk, which sometimes can be helpful with uh, anxiety is to go out and, and be outside if that's a possibility where you are in the winter, um, just really feeling the connection with every footstep, feeling the connection with the ground. So these are some just little tips that people could practice and see if it helps. Yeah, and low breathing as well. Breathing into the abdomen, breathing to the pelvic floor so that you feel a gentle ballooning of the floor of the pelvis and a gentle contraction of the floor of the pelvis when you're when you're breathing. Vervotic types especially 
uh, reconnecting with my with my my pelvis. The vagus nerves again, as I said earlier, come down and cradle the floor of the pelvis, uh, and uh, and and when and that gentle massaging action, we'll often find dysfunctional breathing uh, where the breath diaphragm and the pelvic floor are completely out of sync in people who are chronically uh, chronically in a state of, state of stress or trauma, uh, that, that, uh, that there is a, a tightening of the floor of the pelvis all the time. Right. So, right. So breathing to the floor of the pelvis is a is is a a, a huge helper, uh, truly for and, all purposes. But yeah, I was going to say so. Just you know, moving on to pitta because I don't want to run out of time for people who are having more of the anger you know response, more of a rage response to fear. So what might be a pranayama technique that they could use? Yeah. Uh, and and I, I'll say again, lengthening the exhalation is is an important one. Sometimes uh, pitic types need to uh, get a little of that fire out of the uh, out of the system, and uh, um, and and uh, allow that allow that uh, release of, of of tension. So sometimes it, it, I, the thing I would recommend most is doing some movement prior. To, uh, to the pranayama techniques, uh, which classically is how how they work anyway. But but the uh, but the moving the body to release some tension held in the in the in the muscles, release some inflammation in the body, mm-hmm. so that we can allow those deeper breaths. And I'd come back to that brahmari, that humming breath. Uh, again, with with pitic types, hugely uh, hugely helpful. Uh, you, you get to vibrate the brain, get the, get the uh, get that that ease in the body. Um, the tendency with with pitic types is to do though a very fiery, feisty practice. Right. And that's like pouring gasoline on the on on our pitic tendencies. So uh, so. More often, think watery practices, fluid, fluid movement, uh, gentle, easy, you know, not forcing our way, never locking out your joints in the practice, keeping everything soft. Uh, you might even visualize Tai Chi-like movement uh, in, in Pitic in, in, in work, that, that they'll, they, they need that cooling practice. Nice technique, uh, classic for Pitta is the uh, the Shitali, where they breathe in through the tongue or a curled tongue. For those people who can curl their tongue, exactly. Curl your tongue, leave the mouth open a little bit, and then you inhale you know, through the mouth over that. And not everybody can curl their tongue, but it doesn't matter. No. You can still do the same thing. It, it just comes over your, you know, you basically do the same thing. You just breathe in and, and the air comes over your uh, tongue. Yeah. Um, and yes. slowly through the nose. And what it does is cool the area right above the soft palate. Where your pineal and that your pineal gland and the pituitary and the and, and, and those are all right up in the pituitary glands right above the soft palate, and it, when we start cooling that, it cools the brain. It's kind of like when we eat ice cream, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you you're, you've you've chilled it so that cooling inhalation through the tongue helps the brain 
cool down because honestly, pittas are hotheads. <laughs> Hot heads, yes. So yeah. what I was going to say, and I kind of uh, wanted to mention this too, with the idea of the um, of the vata types that we were talking about. You talk about, for example, taking a deep breath into the abdomen. That may be a bridge too far when you're very anxious. You just can't get there. And so being able to maybe over a period of several breaths uh, for a vata type to take the breath a little bit deeper. And then the next breath, a little bit deeper, and the next breath, a little bit deeper, and the next breath, a little bit deeper, so that you can actually make the transition from where you are, the state that you're currently in, to where you want to go. But it doesn't have to be immediate. You don't have to, like, for example, try and, you know, breathe more deeply. I remember working with an anxious patient in the office one day. She was having a panic attack, and I was trying to get her to take a deep breath and relax her breath. She just couldn't do it. I mean, it just was impossible. It was like she just was like crawling out of her skin, and she just couldn't get there. And so we had to go a little bit more slowly. And the same thing with the pitta and the movement. The fluid movements are ideal, but you may not be able to get there right away. You know, if you're really in uh, in a um, you know feeling overwhelmed by anger. Um, it's hard to then move fluidly. And so you can start a little bit more angularly. I'm imagining, for example, doing something like a sun salutation. You know, you could do that and then gradually slow it down as you do, you know, a few repeats until you're making it more fluid and making it more fluid until you finally get to those kind of more water type of, of movements. Does that sound all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's uh, it, yeah. We we go gradually, and it's very tempting for people in a stressed state to try to force breath practices. Uh, and and uh, as, as much as possible, I try to unplug people from from that sense of I have to do it right. Uh, right. Uh, that uh, over the course of my life has been. Uh, uh, evolution process of getting beyond this is form we have to do it a certain way this is how it's going to be it's just it's just simply not the way the way uh, human beings work we we uh we have to learn skills bit by bit and uh and yeah the tendency to say okay we're going to take a deep breath down into our pelvis well that's just gonna that's that's just <laughs> ask it for trouble <laughs> it's it's over the course of time and people yes. might need to lie in a, on their belly in a crocodile pose for a while to begin to feel the breath moving in the back of their body and down you know and notice oh my gosh you know uh, even though that's not where our lungs are our breath uh, is a massaging action for all of the body so yeah. uh, so we uh, so it's a it is a gradual, uh, gradual process, regardless of dosha. Yeah. So let's talk about kapha in just a couple of minutes, because uh, I do want to save the last couple of minutes to talk about gratitude. So, um, so for someone in, who's in depression um, and therefore kind of moving more slowly, uh, what would be the breathing, rec the pranayama recommendation for someone like that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, uh, I often to get shake to to shake it off a little bit. Actually, mm -hmm. I literally shake. Mm -hmm. Shake the body in some way. Shake, shake the hands. Shake the feet. Get some, get some, uh, get some movement in the body. It doesn't have to look like yoga. Uh, it can be this jiggly, wiggly action. Just, just uh, generate some, uh, some movement to begin with. 
That's um, great. I was just imagining uh, uh, trying to shake like a dog, you know, coming in out of, of the rain. <laughs> just well, like, well, give it a shake. Educate us every day in how how to deal. I, they are vagus nerve masters. They're <laughs> stretching and moving and 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 shaking and and those things are and they feel good when we do them. We might initially say, "Oh, this feels silly," uh, but to to actually uh, allow yourself to just uh, you know and shake it off, get yeah. things moving a bit uh, before you'd even try breathing practices. And lots of times uh, we'll encourage, in, at least in the traditions that I've studied, not totally abdominal breathing, but breathing strong, uh, a little stronger inhalation and up into the chest mm. with, with depression. That power idea of I'm bringing power and courage to my uh, to my heart, to my chest, to my lungs, that kind of of sensation in breathing for uh, a cubic type is uh, is often very helpful. It helps uh, the eyes come to light and uh, and and bring bring that uh, bring that inner radiance up. Mm-hmm. And I am fortunate, <clears throat> although listeners. Don't have this uh, privilege. I can actually see you, and as you were doing that, you're really, you know, putting, uh, stretching your shoulders back, you know, kind of expanding your chest, um, and so, you know, and not just, in other words, not just breathing. They were kind of taking this pose of like, you know, the Incredible Hulk or something like, ah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, embodiment practices are yeah. are fabulous. Just just taking what what we call big pose. Where you just go and you're a big figure X and you expand out in all directions and you say, I'm worthy to take up this much space in the world. Mm, Lovely. I can do this. Even Mm. if it's not a triangle pose or a a thing that that looks like a yoga thing, just this opening and broadening of I have self-worth, I'm okay. And then... Maybe even follow it with little pose where we gather that in and hug ourselves and say, mm-hmm. okay, okay, I'm going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Give yourself the comfort of knowing that it's okay to be big. It's okay to gather in. Mm, lovely. So we've just got a, a couple more minutes here. Um, I did want to have a chance to talk about gratitude. So how does gratitude help? us relieve fear, depression, and anxiety. Okay. Gratitude, like meditation, uh, reshaped the uh, prefrontal cortex of the mind, mm-hmm. our thinking mind. Our, 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 it, it, they, they, uh, the people who uh, journal, who, who uh, practice gratitude, who express gratitude to others have, uh, have this development of this higher thinking mind mm. and don't we all want that uh to yeah. to uh to live in that kind of 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 gratitude and to remember too that our our anger our anxiety and our depression truly came along to help us mm. they aren't punitive they are not a disease they are our way of learning how to live better, how they are trying to help, according to polyvagal theory, and that's another subject entirely, but this is 
but learning to even in times of darkness see that that darkness is there to help us because mm-hmm. Peter Levine said the paradox of trauma is that it has the power to destroy and the power to transform and resurrect mm-hmm. beautiful really beautiful and with that We've come to the close of the show. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and we've been discussing Courageous Living, Yoga's Tools for Releasing Anxiety and Fear with yoga therapist, teacher, and author Beth Spindler. The book we've been discussing is Yoga Therapy for Fear. You can find out more about Beth Actually, it sounds like on her Facebook page might be the best place to go right now. And then when her website is back up, teachtoinspire.com. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Laurel. So bye. So for our listeners, we invite you to explore the many online programs provided by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, which you can access at the website csecenter.org. There is daily morning meditation from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. It's also afternoon on weekdays, meditation at 4 p.m., 4 to 4.30, as well as Sunday satsang, a weekly talk and meditation service each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. All of those are Pacific times. You can learn more about the online programs at csecenter.org, and you can follow uh, Yogacharya O'Brien, uh, ellengraceobrien.com and see her events. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I'll be talking with Acharya Shunya, discussing the topic, Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom. Acharya Shunya is a globally recognized Vedic scholar, best-selling author and spiritual teacher of non-dual wisdom, Advaita Vedanta, and also of Ayurveda. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. You can subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are inspired or have been enjoying the program, hey, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.